0: Hello. My name is Hindel Grospin, and I'm a divorce attorney with a law firm in Newton, Massachusetts called Grossbin & Associates LTD. Welcome to Inside Divorce. Today, I'm sitting with Justin Kelsey, who's a divorce attorney and a divorce mediator. And we're going to talk about some retirement assets and how they're handled during a divorce. So good morning, Justin.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
0: My pleasure. Nice to have you here today. We're going to talk about a complicated issue, which is retirement assets and divorce. And first, I'd like you to tell us a little about yourself so the audience knows who we're talking to.
1: Sure. So my firm is Skylark Law and Mediation. We've been open for about 10 years now, and I do primarily divorce mediation and collaborative divorce representation, which means I help people divorce outside of court. And I have another business, which is called Gray J Endeavors, where we do quadro preparation, And we're gonna talk about what that is today. (laughs) We certainly are. Consultation for helping people know how to divide retirement accounts.
0: Okay. So, like many assets in the divorce, you have to figure out what we have in divorce as assets and then how to divide them. And part of that process is determining what their value is. We're not really gonna talk about valuing these assets today as much as the process of how to divide them. So tell us how are retirement assets handled in a divorce?
1: So retirement assets are, as a starting point, an asset for the divorce. Sometimes people don't think of them as a, as a shared asset, but certainly in Massachusetts, they're one of the assets that we consider as part of the marital estate, and they can be divided as part of a divorce. Unlike a liquid asset, which can sometimes just be split by transferring funds from one account to another, retirement account has to be split in a particular way in order to avoid taxation at the time that it's divided.
0: I understand. Uh-huh. So are there many different kinds of retirement accounts?
1: There are a lot of different types Mm -hmm. of retirement accounts. And some of the more common ones that people have are 401ks, employer-sponsored retirement plans, and IRAs. But there are all sorts of different types of pensions. State pensions are very different than private pensions. There's a lot of different types of retirement accounts. And each of them has some unique pieces to it where it might be that a 401k or a 403b can be divided in the same way. Uh, those are employer-sponsored plans where the employer usually contributes something and the employee usually contributes something. But other types of plans may have specific ways in which they can or can't be divided, may have survivor benefits that can be divided, and it can be pretty complicated and unique to each plan.
0: Sounds complicated. So let's talk about just a few of them. This You mentioned 401k, 403b, and pensions. Those are three examples, right? Yes. And then there's IRAs as well. Yes. Any other types you can think of off the top of your head?
1: Uh, well, there are different types of IRAs uh-huh. uh, as well. Okay. <laughs> For instance, a SEP IRA is through an employer or self-employed plan, and that's a little bit different than a more standard private IRA. And there are Roth IRAs, which are funded with post-tax dollars. That's different as well. And one of the things that's really important to think about when dividing a retirement account is most retirement accounts, Roth IRA being one of the exceptions, are funded with pre-tax dollars, meaning they're funded with our, usually our income before it's taxed, and it's not taxed until retirement, so it's a tax deferral opportunity, I see. but it also means that's very different than the value of perhaps another account divorcing spouses might have.
0: All right, so today we're going to talk about how these different kinds of retirement accounts are, are divided, and each one of these different kinds of retirement accounts is divided in a slightly different way. So who typically has a 403b kind of retirement account? So
1: a, a 403b, these are all references to statutes. Yeah, <laughs> A 403b is a retirement account usually from a nonprofit employer like a hospital. It's pretty much works the exact same way as a 401k. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be a different type of employer that's creating the plan.
0: Okay. So and these retirement accounts are created with, as you say, pre-tax dollars. Sometimes the employer contributes to the account as well. Yes. And the employee can contribute to that those accounts.
1: Right. So a 401k is contributed to by an employee and might also be contributed to by the employer. Each one's different. Yeah. But usually if an employer is creating a 401k, it's because they plan to do some matching. Yeah. Whereas an IRA is something that usually people choose to put their funds into without an employer participating in it. Yeah. And a pension may have some employee contribution. Mm-hmm. So for example, the Mass State Teacher's Retirement System has a portion that is the teacher's annuity fund, which they contribute to, Yeah, and the remainder of the pension is funded by the state. So there's a piece that's contributed to by the employee and a part that's contributed to by the employer.
0: I see. So each, each kind of retirement account could be a variation on a theme. Yes, yeah. All right. So is there a way that we can approach this, the process of dividing retirement accounts that uh, makes it easier for our listeners?
1: It can be a complicated process because it varies so much by plan yeah. type, but we really try to boil it down to five steps and to make it relatively simple. I mean, what are the steps that the participants, that the spouses are going through it with their attorneys? And what are the pieces that you need perhaps a consultant or an expert to help deal with? Yeah. And so the five steps are... Reaching an agreement or obtaining a judgment on how the plan is actually going to be divided. In the divorce. Uh Yeah. And usually that's part of a divorce. It doesn't have to be. It can be part of a separation in states that have legal separation. It can be part of a separate order. Mm -hmm. In Massachusetts, we don't have legal separation. So it's usually part of a divorce. And again, that can come from an agreement or a judgment if the divorce goes to trial. That's step one, basically just determining how is it going to be divided, whether it might be 50-50 or something different. Step two is the actual drafting of an order to divide the plan. And that's usually called, we we call it quadro for short. That stands for qualified domestic relations order. Mm -hmm. And really, that's just a court order that is telling the person who runs the plan what to do in terms of the division.
0: As the person who runs the plan is the plan administrator.
1: Yes. That's we usually refer to them as plan administrator. Got it. Step three is pre-approval. And that's where usually you can get the plan administrator to approve a draft before it's presented to the court so that we know it's something that's going to work for that plan. Um, The reason that's important is a lot of plans have different requirements. You want to make sure that this specific order meets all the requirements of that plan before you go through step four, which is getting the judge to sign (laughs) the order. Right. Because you don't want to have to go back to the court twice.
0: Right. So the standard used by the plan administrator is different than the standard used by the judge to approve of the this Quadra order.
1: That's correct. And the plan administrator is making sure that they have all the information and requirements they need to meet the federal laws that apply to them as to appropriately divide a plan. And because they are different types of plans, there are different types of rules for each plan. Right. So that's very specific to each plan administrator in each plan. Right. So step four is actually getting it, once it's pre-approved, getting it approved by the court. And once it's signed by a judge, then it can be implemented, which is step five, implementation of the order, which is what results in the actual transfer of funds.
0: From one spouse to the other. Yes. understand. And that's a non-taxable transfer.
1: So depending on how it's done, it's intended to be a non-taxable transfer in terms of the transfer, but it's possible in terms of the implementation for the spouse that's receiving the funds to decide that they want to receive it as liquidated cash uh-huh. in some types of plans. So, inviting a 401k or an IRA, uh-huh. the spouse receiving the funds can say, I don't want it to go into a retirement account. I want it to come as cash. If they do that, then they will have to pay tax, and in some certain circumstances, a penalty when they receive the funds. If they have it transferred into another retirement account, yeah. usually an IRA, then it's not a taxable event. So they do have a choice mm-hmm. at the time of taking the funds, and most people have it transferred into an IRA to avoid a taxable event.
0: I see. A lot of options here.
1: It's a lot of decisions for people to make, and that's one of the, the reasons we encourage people to get a consultant on board early on. Yeah, You can certainly just hire, once you've reached an agreement, hire a Quadro preparer in step two to actually draft the order, but it's also possible to if you're not sure what's allowed with a particular type of plan or what's the best way to divide multiple plans, yeah. it sometimes makes sense to bring a Quadro preparer in as a consultant when you're trying to reach an agreement mm-hmm. so they can advise you as to you know how to write up the agreement appropriately and what your options are.
0: It uh, makes a lot of sense to have a Quadro consultant in early in the divorce process. So both uh, spouses understand what their options are. A lot of choices to make. And that's without even valuing them, really. It's just processed decisions.
1: Right. And with different types of plans, the valuation can be a big question as well. Yeah. To speak to that just very briefly, the value of a 401k or an IRA is pretty straightforward because the statement says on it how much is in that account. And that's what will be accessible It'll earn interest and market changes between now and the time of retirement, right. but that's what the the spouse will have access to at that time right. and what can be divided.
0: Yeah.
1: With a pension, the benefit is dependent on the lifetime of the person receiving the benefit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they receive a monthly benefit for their lifetime. That means the actual value is dependent on how long they live yeah. and whether interest rates change during that time. The value of the actual cash is more or less. Uh-huh. So the value of a pension can be turned into a present cash value, Uh but it's more of like an annuity valuation where it's taking into account likely time of death from mortality tables and likely interest rates between now and retirement, which is there are standard ways to do that, but it's also a little bit of a guess. We don't know for sure when someone's going to die, so it's an estimate. So a cash value of a pension is very different than... Evaluation of a 401k or IRA.
0: Right. So, a pension, how are the payments made if, if a person has a pension? Are that payments equal over time?
1: So, most pensions have a formula yeah. for deciding at the moment of retirement what the monthly benefit is going to be. It's very similar to how Social Security works. Okay. And then it can change over time depending on the terms of the pension. Some have cost of living adjustments. In the same way that, again, that Social Security does. Yeah. But the amount itself is usually pretty stable. It's not going to change significantly. Mm-hmm. And so that monthly benefit can be divided by quadro, or in some instances, a, a domestic relations order. It's not a qualified plan, uh, but it's essentially the same thing. And so that monthly benefit can be divided on a percentage or a dollar amount basis if we mm-hmm. know what it's going to be. I see. And there are also usually with pensions, additional benefits that can be divided. So a pension usually also has a survivor benefit option, which is what the survivor uh, designated beneficiary of the, this might be helpful if I use an example.
0: Good. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Because
1: again, the, the technical language gets a little bit confusing. So if we consider a hypothetical couple, let's call them Chris and Terry. Let's say that Terry has a pension. So upon retirement, Terry is going to receive a benefit. And we don't know exactly what that benefit's going to be today because Terry is still employed.
0: And not retired
1: yet. Not retired yet. And a typical pension formula includes some variation on a factor, number of years of service. Uh Uh-huh. And some pay calculator, which it might be like your top three years of pay averaged or something like that. Okay. So you won't know until they finally retire how many years of service they have and what their top years of pay might uh, be. I see, right. So we won't know the monthly benefit right now if someone isn't retired yet, but we can divide it on a percentage basis today to not the dollars, plan administrator.
0: Not dollars, just percentage. Correct. Okay, go ahead. And
1: then at the time of the actual retirement, the plan administrator will implement that. And take that percentage of the monthly benefit and give it to Chris. The former spouse. The Uh former spouse. Okay. In addition, Terry may have a survivor benefit. And in some plans, there's actually two survivor benefits. So there might be a survivor benefit. Someone that Terry can designate could be Chris or somebody else. It could be a child or a new spouse if Terry remarries. Mm -hmm. And so the Quadro can actually define that and say that, No, Terry can't name a new spouse. Terry has to name Chris as the survivor benefit. And a pre-retirement survivor benefit is if Terry dies before they retire. Uh, And then who would get the benefit of the pension if Terry dies before they retire?
0: Right. We always have to predict the future, don't we? (laughs)
1: Right. And so that's something that needs to be considered. It's a benefit. And Terry, even to Terry's benefit, Terry... If this is a divorce, depending on the nature of the divorce, Terry may not want Chris to get that benefit. Might not, yeah. But Terry won't want it to go to waste Uh either. Uh Terry put a lot of work in to get a retirement, wouldn't want nobody to get the the pension benefit.
0: Sure.
1: So we, in many cases, need to define that pre-retirement beneficiary if people are going to agree to it. And there's also a post-retirement survivor benefit. And that is the more typically thought of... So in this example, if Terry retires receives the lifetime benefit for a period of time, and then passes away. The survivor benefit is an ability to actually assign to someone else a benefit for their lifetime. Mm-hmm. So this is in a typical pension design. This is intended for the spouse. People stay married. Yeah. I get a benefit for my lifetime, but then if I die, my spouse still has an ongoing benefit for their lifetime certainly meant for a more traditional marriage where one person was working in, in the past this is where pensions were more typical.
0: Yeah.
1: We didn't want that other spouse to not have any income if their working spouse died first.
0: In a divorce scenario, it's different. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the benefit still exists. Yeah. And it has value, especially if the likely surviving spouse is younger or Again, in a more traditional situation, if if Terry is a man and Chris is a woman, Chris is likely to outlive Terry. And so that survivor benefit has real value uh-huh. to Chris
0: uh-huh. in
1: that example, in that hypothetical. Sure does. So that can be assigned as well in most pension plans, uh-huh. and that can be done as part of the quadro. But it needs to be in the agreement. It needs to be clearly defined who's getting that survivor benefit.
0: So there's a way of identifying a survivor before the, the worker retires and or after the worker retires or both?
1: It can't be done after they retire. It can be done at the moment of retirement Oh
0: yeah.
1: or beforehand. Okay. So the, the court agreement can require that that designation be decided. And sometimes there are different survivor benefits as well. It might be that there's a, a smaller survivor benefit, a larger survivor benefit, or multiple options. So that option can be deci- decided as part of the agreement and built into the Qualified Domestic Relations Order, so Mm -hmm. it can't be changed in the future. Mm -hmm. Or if there isn't an agreement to it, then uh, in this case, Terry, whose pension it is, will get to decide that when they retire. The reason I say it can't be done after they retire is once you make that decision, it can't be changed afterwards. Oh, really? So sometimes we get cases where people are already retired.
0: Yeah.
1: And so in this hypothetical, if Terry's already drawing on their pension and receiving it, it can actually still be divided, uh-huh. but it, whatever they decided as a survivor beneficiary option can't be changed.
0: But at that point, it's not exact—not the same kind of asset. It's an income stream. If the person who's receiving the pension benefit is getting that fixed monthly amount, for example, it's more considered an income, isn't it, than an asset?
1: It can really be treated either way. Can? you can be you can consider it income and not divide the pension itself? Yeah meaning not direct the plan administrator to do anything different than they're already doing, which is paying to tarry that monthly benefit. Right. And then if there's a spousal support component in thinking about how the parties are dividing up income going forward, that could be part of alimony, for example. Yeah. Or you could take that off the table as an asset still. Uh Uh-huh. And direct the plan administrator to divide that ongoing benefit, even though it's already in pay status, they can still do that. And so after the divorce and the quadro is implemented, Terry would no longer receive the full monthly benefit. The plan administrator would pay the portion assigned to Terry and pay that separate portion directly to, to the ex yeah.
0: Okay. But it's the income stream that gets divided at that point. Because it's already a pay status, meaning that person's already retired.
1: Correct. Okay. Right. And that's the same way that pensions are often divided. It's by the income stream. Yeah. And there are some pensions that's the only way it can be divided. It's called a shared interest division. So, for instance, the I mentioned the mass teacher's retirement system. Right. That pension can only be divided on a shared interest basis. You can only divide the monthly benefit mm-hmm. up in some percentage, as well as dealing with the survivor benefits. Mm-hmm. Some pensions, like uh, many private pensions, have the option of what's called a separate interest benefit, which you can actually divide the account, and then the two people have their own pensions. Oh. And the advantage of that is, again, let's say it's Terry's pension and Chris is going to receive a separate interest. Chris would now be able to assign their own survivor beneficiary.
0: Uh, They have more control.
1: Right. They have a, essentially a separate pension.
0: I see. It's divided, in, divided not right. necessarily equally in two, but it's divided in some way.
1: Whatever portion that they agree yeah. to or that the judge orders, whatever portion they agree to or that the judge orders. Yeah. But that division then going forward is like they have a separate pension and the advantage of that, both the survivor piece, but also then both Terry and Chris would take the pension based on their own retirement age. Whereas a shared interest, where the monthly benefit is being divided, Chris will have to wait until Terry retires. Uh,
0: To the one who received to earn the pension, essentially. They're completely
1: tied to Terry. And that can be normal retirement age. Terry might wait and retire later. It's completely dependent on that. It also could be early retirement in the case of uh, some plans allow for that. Some plans allow for disability retirement.
0: Uh,
1: And that's another thing we talk about when you're dealing with a pension should be included in an agreement, one of the reasons to consult with an expert is to make sure that in each type of pension, you're including all the different things that should be included Yeah. and whether or not people are going to divide an early disability retirement yeah. differently yeah. than the actual retirement <gasps> benefit.
0: God, there's so many variations on this theme.
1: It's one of those things that people don't think about, yeah. but we actually have to put into the quadro yeah. whether they would split it on the same percentage or a different percentage.
0: I see. So you have to gather a lot of information in order to draft this quadro document, this particular order. That's correct. What's your experience with receiving all that information during the course of a divorce if you're drafting, if maybe you didn't handle the divorce, you're just drafting the quadro document afterward?
1: So we've been doing quadros as a separate service for uh, about three or four years now, in addition to representing people in divorce and helping people mediate divorces. Uh Uh-huh. And so in doing that, one of the advantages, is I get to see everybody else's agreements right. and how they're dividing up assets and specifically retirement accounts. I see a lot of agreements that are really incomplete and they don't contain all of the information that we need in order to completely draft a quadro. And all that means is that we're going to go back to the spouses or their t- attorneys, if there were attorneys involved, and let them know we have a questionnaire. Here's the other things we need to know. Usually that's pretty straightforward, but the danger of not including everything in the agreement originally is if, an, if they disagree about any of those additional things that need to be decided, right. it can take a case back into conflict. Right. Uh, and worst case scenario, end up back in court. So we have checklists that, that we provide to help make sure that everything's in an agreement. And it's one of the advantages of bringing us in earlier when the agreement's in draft stage. Yeah. And this is something we've been doing a lot for mediators who might draft an agreement, and the parties might send it to their attorneys, but the attorneys might not be retirement experts. They might flag something as making sure that all the information's in here. And the mediator might bring it to us and just say, before this is finalized, did we answer all the questions we needed to answer?
0: That's a good practice, really smart practice.
1: It's a it's a way of shortcutting while they're still in the process, and shortcutting in future conflicts. Right. That now's the time to while you're negotiating anyway, yeah. Make all these decisions. And for some plans like a, an IRA, it might be very simple.
0: Yeah.
1: I keep mentioning the mass teachers retirement because it's one of the most complicated ones, and so you really want to make sure you're considering every single factor in that. But even something like a four hundred one k, people overlook certain things. For instance, you can take a loan from most 401ks. There's a process by which you can apply to your employer to get a loan from the 401k. And a lot of people do that, especially when people are coming into a divorce situation. There's often other financial constraints. They have to figure out how to pay for their lawyers, how to pay for new housing. And people sometimes take a loan from their 401k for something like that. I've
0: seen that happen, yeah.
1: If we are directed to divide a 401k on a dollar amount, the loan doesn't affect that. Uh as long as there's enough money in the 401k. But if we're directed on a percentage basis, so if, let's assume again in the hypothetical that Chris has a 401k and Terry's being given 50% of the 401k. But if there's a loan against that 401k, the agreement has to tell us whether that loan is included in the 50% calculation or not. And that could be a big difference. It's whether or not Terry is sharing in that loan.
0: So the loan is a liability of the marriage. And has to be repaid by somebody.
1: Right. And, and like any other liability of the marriage, it has to be decided whether that's a shared liability yeah. or was that money used for only one side.
0: right?
1: And that's by de- defining in the agreement how the 401k is being split by Quadro, you're telling us whether that loan is being shared or not.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The loan still has to be paid back right. by, Somewhere. in this example, <laughs> the employee, which in this example was Chris, Chris would have to keep paying back that loan. So if it's also split and Chris has to pay it back, it can be seen in some instances like double paying yeah. for it. So it's one of the things that has to be considered in dividing a 401k and, and checking to see is there a loan and then letting the quadro preparer know how that's handled.
0: See. So in your example, you have two spouses, one has a pension and one has a 401k. And so let's say we're equalizing the values of those because a pension does it has to be valued in a different kind of way than a 401k is valued. Is that right?
1: That's right. And in valuing a pension, you're making certain assumptions about lifetime. And in valuing a 401k, you're not making those assumptions. The so so-
0: 401k value is the 401k value on the date at the moment that you're checking the value because if it's market influences, change the value periodically. But you can get a statement Yes. Right. And the statement shows its value.
1: Right. A lot of times people just think about their retirement as I have a retirement plan. Yeah. And you have a retirement plan. So do we really need to do anything complicated or can I keep mine and you can keep yours? Yeah. But without looking at a pension valuation, they could be significantly different. And I give people the example. If I have a 401k worth a hundred thousand and you have a four hundred one K worth a million, I might feel differently about you keep yours and I keep mine. <laughs> You're right. And so the value matters. Yeah. And looking at a pension valuation at least gives you an idea of that scope. Uh-huh. And if they're significantly different, it may make sense to do some offset or it may make sense to just divide them both because they are very different types of assets. Yeah. And there's a, a risk benefit that we talk about with clients there with all sorts of different types of assets. People will trade cash for house equity and those are different. They might both be Liquid
0: uh-huh.
1: or liquidatable,
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but they're different types of assets and uh-huh. you're tying yourself to different things. And we often don't want clients to leave a case cash poor yeah. because it may really limit their ability to do certain things going forward. So we advise them, it's ultimately up to them, but we advise them of those risks. And similarly, with trading a 401k, for example, for pension benefit, yeah. and I keep mine, you keep yours, they have different risks to them. The pension, if you don't live as long, is worth a lot less. And depending on how the survivor benefit is handled, that could go to someone or not go to somebody. Uh If you've designated it for a survivor who's already passed, Uh essentially you didn't get as much out of your pension as you might have. Uh Whereas the 401k, if it's not completely drawn on, that goes to a beneficiary or it goes to your estate if you haven't designated a beneficiary. So there's more benefit there if you don't live as long. And then the flip side, If you live a really long time, you're going to get a lot more out of the pension. Uh The 401k may eventually run out. Uh You have to plan differently. So because they're types of accounts with very different risks and benefits, it may not be good to trade them against each other. It might be better to split them both.
0: I see. So you share the risk.
1: Exactly. The both spouses. Of the things that that we we don't know, like how long we're going to live.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We know a lot of things, but we can't predict the future or how long someone will live.
1: And I really look at that as, as an informational piece, that clients should know that. And then the decision is up to them how much risk they want to take. Mm-hmm. It certainly does tie them together more if they are dividing these accounts. It's an extra step to take. But the step itself can be done as quickly after the divorce or as part of the divorce process if there's enough planning. And once it's done, then they, they've made a decision that can help share in the risk and benefit. Yeah. But sometimes if people are looking to get it done more quickly... They can overlook things like that, and, and my goal is just to make sure that people have that information, so they're making informed decisions.
0: It's a good idea. It's a complicated area.
1: It is, and that's the reason to hire an expert. It is.
0: <laughs> it is, and I've learned a lot today from you about um, the different ways of dividing retirement accounts, and the preparation of this document called a quadra aura. DRO, right? Sometimes you need another version of this document.
1: That's right. And the only difference is, and sometimes people use the terms interchangeably. Yeah. I've definitely seen agreements that says we need a quadro for a plan that really they didn't need a quadro. Yeah. The difference that qualified acronym part of the, the acronym, Q of
0: the quadro, right, yeah.
1: Is just the type of plan falls under a federal law called ERISA, and it's what's called a qualified plan. But the the nature of the order is very similar. Thrift savings plans. Uh, the mass teacher's retirement, they all require just a domestic relations order, DRO, because they're not qualified plans, but the process is essentially the same. We have to draft up an order that the judge can sign to direct the plan administrator what to do, and it has to be a separate order from the divorce agreement itself. The one exception to that Uh is that often IRAs don't need a separate domestic relations order, but the way to do that is to make sure that all the correct information is in the divorce agreement. Mm -hmm. So we have on occasion consulted with mediators and attorneys to make sure the divorce agreement is completely correct as to how the IRA is defined to be divided. So then they don't need the second step. They don't steps two through five. They don't need. Yeah.
0: That is getting court approval and all that.
1: Right. Uh Because an IRA won't require a separate, domestic relations order if the correct information is contained in the original agreement.
0: Oh, I see. What's this concept of coverage?
1: So we've been talking about different proportions that agreements might be divided on. It's obviously easy to use, sort of a 50-50 idea. But if someone has participated in a plan, for example, if I was contributing to a pension for 20 years... And then I got married, and I was married for five years. Yeah. I might feel differently about splitting that 25 years worth of a pension 50-50. Uh-huh. So sometimes we apply what's called a marital coverture period and only divide the portion of the pension or account that was earned during the marriage. For something like a 401k, I can look at if I kept my statements or the plan administrator might be able to provide a balance as of the date of marriage. Yeah. And we can do a calculation of the difference. Yeah. Yeah. For a pension, we may not be able to get a benefit value as of the date of marriage, but sometimes people will calculate a marital coverage as a time component. So, if we're married for five years out of the twenty-five years I earned the pension, we might only divide the marital coverage portion, of the five years, by dividing, in that case, one fifth right. of the pension value. Yeah, and that's a marital coverage calculation. And that's there's it. actually different ways to do marital coverage calculations, and the Pension might have limits on the ways that they allow. So that's another reason to check with a quadro expert on a particular type of pension, whether they allow different ways to do that. Also, that's a reason to always do the pre-approval process. Uh Because if you you wrote a marital coverage fraction into your quadro, Uh you want to make sure the plan administrator agrees that you can do it that way. Got it. I actually had a case once where... The agreement was written to say that they were going to divide only the marital coverture portion of a 401k, and they wanted the plan administrator to subtract the value as of the date of marriage from the value as of the date of divorce and only divide that portion. Yeah. And the plan administrator said, we don't have those records. It was 15 years before. The marriage was 15 years before, and they said, we don't have that statement. So if you don't have it,
0: we can't can't do do that. Mm -hmm.
1: And they had to go back and amend their agreement because the plan administrator couldn't do it. If they had asked that question ahead of time of the plan administrator, they would have known that and not had to go back.
0: So the whole coverture concept seems like a way to back out premarital assets. Yes. What's earned prior to the date of marriage.
1: And similar to the division of any other type of asset. Yeah. That's a negotiable point. Sometimes that makes sense in some marriages. And certainly if there's a a prenup, it might define that premarital portion. Yeah. But if there's no prenup, the length of the marriage, all the other factors that come in a division of assets may mean that's not appropriate in some cases and appropriate in others. Mm -hmm. And that's a negotiable point of whether people do that or not.
0: So what kind of documents would you need each of the spouses to give you in order to prepare a quadro? for them? I mean, just a statement alone with account number and a name and date of birth of the spouse enough?
1: So we have an intake form yeah. that will need specific information like social security numbers and dates of birth because there are things that the plan administrator will require to implement. Yeah. In terms of documentation, we usually ask for a recent statement because it'll have all the contact information on there and that helps us get in touch with the plan administrator. Got it. In order to speed up that process, if people have called on their own and figured out Who the plan administrator is, that's helpful. sometimes
0: hard to identify, isn't it?
1: It is. Sometimes we bounce through a couple of people before we find that person. And so it can speed up the process if the client does that ahead of time. But we'll do that piece. And we need a copy of the agreement or judgment if it was done by trial.
0: Talking about the separation agreement.
1: Yes. In order to see what was implemented. Uh Uh-huh. We'll need a copy of the judgment or at least the case caption yeah. because this is a court order we're creating. So it has to have the same case caption and docket number. Yeah. And then we may have other questions if the agreement wasn't complete. And so we have an intake that kind of makes sure you've answered, what do you want to do with survivor benefits and anything like that that yeah. comes up in different cases.
0: Okay. So if, if someone were to consult with you in advance of the divorce completion, they could give you statements from their accounts, their retirement, respective of retirement accounts. I imagine you can make some recommendations at least using the statements and then obviously conversations with the spouses and maybe the mediator.
1: Certainly if it's a plan we've worked before, yeah. a statement will let us know what can be done. Yeah. If it's a plan we haven't worked before yeah. and there's a lot, a lot, of, lot them of them <laughs> out there, we would also ask for what's called the summary plan. Uh-huh. So every employee benefit, health insurance, life insurance, retirement accounts. Have a summary plan. It's a long legal document that your employer gives you at some point. Most people throw it out. Don't read, yeah. (laughs) And it's probably 30 to 60 pages. And in there are all the things that can be done and can't be done with any particular plan. And so if it's a plan that we haven't worked before, and pretty much all 401ks work the same, so we wouldn't need it for something like that. Mm -hmm. But if it's a pension plan Mm -hmm. or a savings plan that we haven't seen before and we're not sure if it's a 401k or if it's something else. Yeah. That summary plan will give us all the information. And we encourage people, even if you're not going to work with a consultant, to get that information. And if they can't read through it on their own, to consult with an attorney. So they make sure that they know all their options and what they can do ahead of time before they're finalizing an agreement so that they're not going to have to go back and change it.
0: Yeah. Great, Justin, I've learned so much today from you about uh, retirement plans and dividing them as an asset in a divorce. So thank you for coming in today. Well,
1: thank you for inviting me.
0: And thank you to our listeners. This is Inside Divorce. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a confident and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindel at grossmanltd.com My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L, or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.